You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. Well, my good friend uh, Dave Wake works with Wycliffe Bible Translators, and he takes a a group on a mad safari um, each each year around about July. In fact, we have a poster at the back if you'd like to like to join up for one of these these trips. He he takes a group of people essentially into um, indigenous communities and, and shows how uh, translators are carefully trying to understand the, the local dialect and, and translate scriptures into, into that dialect and then, and then disciple them in the ways of Jesus. And he takes a group of people to, to go see these. Now, on one occasion, there was a, there was a funeral that many of the elders and others had to attend. And so all of the adults of the village, you know, had to go and attend this, this particular funeral, leaving the, the, the group that Dave was leading um, in the capable hands of some of, the, some of the young adults. Well, they wanted to do something special uh, for this, this group who had come to visit them from the city. And, and so they decided to go fishing. And they, they made their way through, through the mangroves across a fairly shallow, shallow river and, and, and into an area where this was the spot to fish. Now, Dave noticed as, as he went that the day was getting on. It was a longer track than they may have anticipated. And as the day got on, the, the, the river was, was, the banks were starting to swell. The tide was coming in. It was tidal. And um, one of his concerns was the fact that it was in this area known to have crocodiles. And they'd seen a few on the banks, but, but in the group that they were in, that was, that was quite all right. But Dave actually nudged them by the time they set up in their little spot for their fishing. And he, and he said to you know, one of the oldest boys who was leading the, the team there, he said, so, you know, what, how do we get back across the river, and when's a good time to do that, given, you know, that uh, it's, it's a bit croc-infested and so forth? And, and the, the young man just looked up at Dave with the widest eyes and thought, Now! <laughs> they suddenly realised that it was much later in the day than they thought. Right now! And uh, so David, a little alarmed by the alarm, was thinking, Right! Okay, everybody, pack up your fishing gear, we're off. Now, he didn't want to say much um, to, to cause any panic, but, um, but seeing the alarm on the, the faces of the locals there, he realised, this is a big deal. And uh, sure enough, by the time they got back to where they had to cross the river, it was already waist deep, and he was a little concerned. And uh, so, they, so they started to... Uh, not the least of which was the, the daughter of the director of Wycliffe Australia was on his team. Anyway, so he was, he was coming, let's, let's go across, let's go across. Oh, but we haven't finished our fish. Don't worry about that. Come across, come across. And uh, to their credit, lovely, um, lovely note about the, the culture of, of uh, some of these, these particular indigenous tribes. It was these young guys, actually, who had been leading this trip, who were last to go across the river. They stood in the middle of the river, just young, young guys, 14, 15 years of age, and made sure that everybody got across the, the river safely. But essentially, it was, it was this. Where we were fishing, amongst those mangroves there, you don't want to stay there. You want to get from there back across the river to safety. You don't want to stay where you were. And so they were getting everybody across the river. And finally, when the, the last person was across safely, they, the last, um, they, also, they also followed the group off and, and to safety. But Dave admits that it was one of those, in terms of, uh, of organising such trips, it was one of those new experiences for him that he also took note of for, for next time. And, um, um, and it was a great, great learning experience for the team. Once they were safely on land, they explained a little bit more what, um, what the panic was about. But it was a reminder that sometimes in life you can find yourselves in a place where you, you don't want to be. And it is at those times that, that a God of love refuses to leave you in bad, unsafe or unproductive places. The truth is that as the people of God, our call to follow Jesus Christ is dynamic, not static. We are called essentially to be a people on the move. 
And God is constantly saying to you and to I, the place that you are, you don't want to be. He wants to get us from wherever it is that we are at the moment to somewhere else. Now, you might think about that and and puzzle over it and say, but aren't there good places or spaces to be with God? Absolutely. But that's not the end of the story. The interesting thing about the Christian life is, wherever you are at the minute in terms of your growth with God, in terms of your sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus, here here is one thing that is true, always. You ain't there yet. <laughs> you might have grown. You may have come a long way. You, you might be really progressing wonderfully in your Christian faith and your walk. But do you know what? You're not there yet. There is always further we can go. There is always more that we can grow. There is, there is more of God's promises that we can lay hold of. There is more freedom for each of us to experience. Wherever we are at the minute... We are not designed to stay in that place. That is not God's purpose for us. We are a dynamic people, not a static people. And yes, frankly, the Christian walk is a very uncomfortable one. There is a sense in which we're never supposed to settle. We're never supposed to to be comfortable. We are always striving for more, more of Jesus in our life, to be more like Jesus in our daily walk. It is an uncomfortable calling, but it's, but it's true for each and every one of us. Wherever you are at the minute, that is not your final destination. God has more for you. And he's calling you and he's calling me onwards and upwards to experience more of who he is and, and what he has for us. The Christian walk is, is a dynamic walk, a dynamic lifestyle being called to, to experience more and more of Jesus Christ. We need, to, we need to move. There are different reasons why, I guess, at times we might feel a little bit stuck, a little bit complacent, a little bit like, but I like it here. Frankly, sometimes there's a little bit of stubbornness there. There can be disappointment with life, disappointment even with the ways of God. There can be anger, there can be bitterness, there can be sin in our lives, there can be all manner of things that might make us think, I don't know if I really want to move on from here. I don't know if I, if I like this, this walking with God type concept. I'm kind of a bit more comfortable just staying where I am. The people of Israel, on a number of occasions, probably had reason to to just settle down, give up this nomadic lifestyle, and decide, you know what? Here is better. (laughs) Whenever we move on, it seems like somebody else wants to have a go at us. Warring tribes and so forth, they could have been forgiven for thinking, oh, please, God, let's just be. But to be stuck where they were was not to be the people of God. They were called to, to move on. We've been looking at a little bit of the what we've called part two of the Exodus, part one being leaving Egypt. And crossing the Red Sea, but then some 40 years in the wilderness before they were able to enter into all that God had for them. Part two is crossing the Jordan River and entering into a land that God had had promised them, a land of promise. And now is that moment where God is saying, well, get ready. In the last couple of weeks, we've looked at at a a couple of passages Learning from Moses, Moses' song, Moses' prayer, and the blessings of Moses. In Moses' song, we, we learned that, you know, when things get really, really difficult, and you're not sure what to do, sing the chorus. Go back to praising God and saying, God, despite it all, I trust you. I believe in you. I praise you. 
In Moses' prayer, we learned that no matter where life takes you, always remember that it is God himself who is your home. And now, um, we actually get to Joshua chapter 1. And we're looking at that part where God himself is instructing Joshua. And he's got some, some timeless advice for people who are on the move. Firstly, we notice in, in chapter 1, in verse 2, God says very, very bluntly to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, you might have thought that there was a nicer way to break it to him. Um, but no, the Hebrew for dead is dead. And God is pretty, pretty blunt with Joshua here. Joshua, your mentor, Israel's legend, possibly the greatest man who has ever walked the earth, he's dead. No more. Gone. So, now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to you. It is blunt, but I wonder if it needed to be. I wonder if sometimes we can just get stuck. We want to mull over what could have been. We want to keep trying to piece together these pieces of broken dreams. We feel entitled to some sort of apology. We just get stuck. We feel disillusioned. We feel that, I don't know, where others have succeeded, I seem to fail and I can't break that sin. We get stuck. And God says of that situation, consider it dead. It's dead now. Let's move on. Let's move on. And so he says to Joshua, it's time to move on. There is, there is land to be taken. Here is the promise of something much, much better. That is finished. Let's go. Let's move on. Let's take this land that, that God has promised. Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you, here's the promise, a wonderful reassurance. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend. Here is God leading us into the invitation or there is an invitation, sorry, to come into an extended place. Wherever it is that we get stuck, it is a place where we will not experience the fullness of God. The place that God wants to take us to, it's an expanded open area in which we can experience more of God. Your territory will extend from the the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. No one will be able to stand against you. What a promise. What a wonderful reassurance. Hey, there's land to be taken. And whether that's personal for you, that personally speaking, spiritually speaking, God wants me to progress in my walk with him. He wants me to take land that I've not yet taken. Whether it's in terms of ministry, God wants to, wants to expand your ministry sphere. He wants to lead you into a place where he wants to use you in a far greater way than you have experienced previously. Perhaps, perhaps it's as a church body. We can apply this to various ministries. We can apply this perhaps even looking ahead to what God wants to do at Eltham Baptist Church. He wants to take us to a place which will be more extensive than where we are at the moment. And the promise is that nothing can stand against you. Nothing can stand against you. If this represents God's purposes for you, you must trust that there is no power 
on earth or from hell that can stop it. God's purposes will prevail all the time, every time. All right, so here is some timeless advice for the, for the people of God. Two points, really. A command and a promise. A command and a promise. And the, and the first one is, is this. You've heard these words before. We have to explore them a little bit. But the first one is this. Be strong and courageous. In fact, this is so important. It's mentioned three times throughout this passage. Um, in verse Verse 3 is the promise, I'll give you every place you set your foot. Verse 4, your territory will extend. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you. Wonderful reassurance. And then in verse 6, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land. I swore to their ancestors to give them. Verse 7, be strong now and very courageous. Let's repeat it again. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And then just one more time to make sure that Joshua gets the message. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Three times, whenever Scripture mentions something three times, particularly in the Hebrew, that, that method of repetition means take note. Think about Genesis. Made in the image of God. In the image of God, we have been made. Made in the image of God. Three times. We're supposed to take notice. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Have I not told you? Be strong and courageous. We're supposed to take notice. Here is a command, be strong and courageous. Now, it's one of, those, one of those difficult ones, isn't it? Particularly if you're feeling a little feeble, anxious, or frightened. Somebody just saying, oh, go on, be strong, be courageous. It's kind of like, oh, right, okay, yes. What, 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 how do I do that, you know? On what basis am I supposed to be strong and courageous? It's a wonderful, wonderful command, but... But what's the basis for that? Well, here it is. It's a command with a promise. Be strong and courageous, for I am with you. It's a promise of the presence of God. The basis for being strong and courageous is the, the presence of God. Here you are standing on the battlefield, feeling a little bit like a, like a, young, a young David. God Almighty stands behind you. So large that a person's gaze upwards can still only fathom his biggest toe. He's huge. He's wonderful. And he's there. His presence is right there with you in any and every situation. God is with you. Um, we've all probably had this experience. It's most vivid, I think, in the early years of primary school or high school, but a teacher announces a school camp. It's exciting. We get out of the classroom. This is going to be fantastic. The day arrives and you've carefully packed your bag and your sleeping bag and you're ready to go on camp. You jump in the bus and, and uh, you, you know, it's just fun and games and so forth. And finally, the bus arrives at the campsite. You swing in and, and you're looking around, taking in everything at once. This is going to be a great week. I love school. All of a sudden, first time you've ever thought that. You hop off the bus and you look around at the digs. And so it's just full of excitement. And, and, and then out of the corner of your eye, you spy something. Some sort of field of torture. A high ropes course. And you think to yourself, I love cow. I hate high ropes. That must, be for the, that must be for the senior campers. That couldn't be for us. But then finally, the, the camp director, the commandant, comes and he lays down the law of the camp rules. And he lays them out like a gauntlet that you have to run through and so on. And he's a scary person. Camp directors always are. Oh, they can have their fun side, but they'll never let you see it. And he talks about such and such an afternoon where we're going to do the high ropes course, where you may die. 
And you realise camp's not fun at all. I don't like school. I don't like school camp. I don't like buses. I don't like being here. I want to go home now. But that's not an option. And, and so your turn comes. You find yourself suddenly in a line with everybody else, facing some enormous ladder. And that's exactly as I faced it. There was a, it was a ladder attached to a, to a tree, and at the, at the top it was a platform. How high? I don't know. But I do remember being just a little bit of deprived of oxygen. So this was a high altitude. And when I got up to the platform, I realized, whoo, everything was blurry. It was possible there was cloud cover up there. And the idea was that you had to jump from your platform out to a particular ring. And if you missed it, you would plummet to your death. <laughs> Except that there was a harness and a rope. And the camp director, with a bit of a grin on his face for the first and only time, says, it's all right, not many people actually catch the ring. But if you miss it, I've got this rope. I've got you. You'll just be there hanging suspended, and I will lower you to the ground. And you look at him, and, and there's something about his meanness <laughs> that makes you trust him, strangely. And so the first person you know, comes up to the platform, and, and it's actually not that great a distance. Hey, if this was on the ground, you'd make it easily. But for some reason, being way up there, you know, out of oxygen, in the clouds, it all seems a little bit harder. And so the first person feebly falls off the platform and sure enough, he's just left hanging there, suspended. Mr. Camp Director has them, just like he said. And then he lowers, lowers them carefully to the ground. And you think, okay, well, that, that wasn't as unpleasant as one might have thought. But then the harness comes back up and you're sort of slipping into the harness and fastening it and so forth, wondering how tight can I get this? And I want to sort of tip over like, a, like an egg in an egg cup and fall out or something. And, and so there you are, sort of harnessed in, ready to go, and, and it's your turn. You think, I, I might actually make a go at this. I might actually try and catch that ring. And so I remember jumping out, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't grab a hold of the ring, because I think in my mind, the more frightening thing, rather than jumping off the platform, will be letting go of the ring. So I got to the ring and just touched it to prove that I could. And then, all of a sudden, as I dropped just a foot or so, sure enough, the rope caught and I was, I was suspended. Why would I do such a thing? Why would any of us do it? Why do any of us do that? Well, basically, we're going on a promise, aren't we? We just saw how it went for the person in front of us. And it was okay, actually. And the promise is that the same camp director who, who had them in his grip will also have you in his grip. As it was for them, so it is for you. Well, that's the promise for Joshua. Be strong and courageous, for I am with you. Now, here's a little gem hidden away here in verse 5. As I was with Moses... So I will be with you. Imagine what a promise that was for Joshua. As I was with Moses, young Joshua, to what extent did he personally observe those ten plagues and the goings-on? We don't know, but he would have definitely heard Story by story, all of that detail. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Moses, the legend of Israel at the Red Sea. Do you know why they went via the Red Sea, which had a dead end? Because God has said, well, if I take them up through the Philistine country, they might see the army coming for them, and they're not, they're not battle ready yet. They'll turn back and and go to Egypt. Therefore, I'll take them another route. So he takes them to the Red Sea, and there they are, trapped. The Egyptian army is coming after them. They had seen the hand of God at work. Not only after the plagues did Pharaoh let them go, but he did the extraordinary. Think about it. By the way, off you go. Yes, I know that you were formerly our slaves, but 
go on, go on, go, be free, be free. By the way, plunder us. Plunder us as if you've conquered us. Go on, nobody else can, but you do that. Yeah, please, please, take whatever you want. Off they went. It's extraordinary. But now with a change of heart, Pharaoh pursues them, wondering, what was I thinking? I think I just let all of the slaves go. Oh, we've still got so many more pyramids to build for tourism centuries later. What was I thinking? Anyway, so he pursues them. There they are, trapped at the Red Sea. See Egyptians. See see Egyptians. And all of a sudden, Moses has this dilemma. How do I lead these people? He's told, well, take the rod in your hand, raise it up over the sea. I'll take care of things. He does it. This is legendary stuff. This is amazing. The sea parts, the nation crosses over. They look back. They see Egyptians, see Egyptians, see, just see, no Egyptians. And there they are, saved, rescued. Wow. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Trying to govern a nation. People coming to Moses with all manner of questions. Moses needs a place to go. He sets up a tent outside the camp. No ordinary tent. When he goes to this tent, the pillar of cloud follows and it stops outside the front of it. The pillar of cloud representing the presence of God. Moses goes into the tent and the pillar of cloud stands outside of it. The presence of God right there with him. This is so astounding that that all of the Israelites come out of their own tent and they stand at the door watching. They can't believe it. It's like a stamp of approval on on Moses' leadership. And then he would come out of the tent. The wisdom, the, the guidance that he needed to lead this unruly nation. He has it. And he goes back to his own tent. But... Scripture tells us, Joshua, son of Nun, remained in the tent. It's a little hint that as he was being mentored by Moses, Joshua was exposed to the same sense of the presence of God that Moses himself was. So much so that when Moses is is clocking off, Joshua stays there. He said, I want more of this. He had encountered the presence of God in a marvelous, spectacular way. And now here is this promise, as I was with Moses, so I am with you. It's a promise for us as well. Only it goes like this. The second Joshua, come New Testament times, Jesus, Greek for Joshua, means the Lord saves. And here's the promise for you and I. As I was with Jesus, says God, so I am with you. That's God's promise to you. As I was with my son, Jesus, So I am with you. Think of a verse such as John 14, 20, where Jesus says, one day you'll realize this, that as I am in the Father and you are in me, so I am in you. The presence of God through the Holy Spirit now dwelling in you. If you only take one thing away, from this morning, take away this truth. God says to you, as I was with Jesus, so I am with you. On that basis, be strong and be courageous. Personally speaking, think about that one area of growth in your Christian life that feels impossible. 
take a hold of a promise like Ephesians 1, 19 to 20, speaking about the power that is available to all those who believe, the incomparable power that is available to all of us in terms of our sanctification. It is the same power, the very same power that God used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. As I was with Jesus, so I am with you. In terms of ministry, think about John 20, 21. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so now I send you. God says, in terms of your ministry calling, as I was with Jesus, so I am with you. Think about it in terms of eternal life. Think about the promise. Uh, Romans 8, 11. Will not the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus Christ from the death, also give life to your mortal bodies? Absolutely. Death, where is your sting? As I was with Jesus, so I am with you. The promise holds through all of life and all areas of life and for all of eternity. It's an incredible promise. So, be strong and be courageous. And then secondly, follow carefully my teaching. Notice in verse 7, again, a command and there's going to be a promise with it. Be strong and, and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law. My servant Moses gave you. Now, what is the law? Used interchangeably at different times throughout the Old Testament. The law, the the word of God, teaching, instruction, precepts, commandments. Think of it this way. If I was to give you an instruction, you would call it an instruction. If God was to give you an instruction... Well, that's law. <laughs> There's no arguing about that. Stuart gives you a, an instruction. Uh, well, it'd probably come from a good heart. May or may not be true. Might be. Give it a grain of salt. If God gives you an instruction, there is no argument. It definitely comes from a good heart. And it will definitely be spot on in every single detail. That's what makes God's teaching or instruction as law. And that carries on, of course, the the inspiration of Scripture throughout the New Testament. Peter refers to Paul's letters as being inspired. Paul understands himself that many of his letters are coming directly from the Spirit of God, inspiration. He quotes Luke as... as, uh, being inspired of God, quotes Luke as, as being this, as a scripture says. Um, and so the word of God, is we have it here, inspired by God, yes, written by human hands, but inspired by God is, is that body of teaching or instruction that we as God's people have been commanded to put into practice. It's part of discipleship. Go make disciples, Matthew 28, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded, says Jesus. Quite simply, everything that Jesus commands, therefore, needs to be obeyed. So the command is to follow carefully my my teaching. We need to know this book. I've told you, and some have even met one of my mentors when I worked with Pioneers Australia was, was a dear, dear African brother whose name simply was JFK. And if you asked him, what's the JFK stand for? You would quickly realize the abbreviation JFK is a very useful one. And it was just a complicated name. Um, but JFK, we to add a little bit of... Um, I guess, respect to it because he was, this dear brother was, was held in very, very high esteem throughout pioneers. We would actually call him uncle. It was a, it was a very suitable way or fitting way to acknowledge um, the elder status that, that he had within the mission pioneers. 
He's a wonderful man of God. I remember sitting behind him um, after a conference one time. And if I think of the different conversations we had and the different things that he taught me over the years, this stands out more than anything else, that he was a man of the word. During a break at the conference, everybody had stood, and JFK also had stood to go and get a, get a, uh, a cup of coffee and a refreshment. And, and I was still mulling over something from the conference. I don't remember what, but I do remember as I stood looking down where JFK had been sitting in front of me at his Bible. It was a leather Bible and not just sort of bonded, bonded leather, like from an animal that had been bonded. Or something, I guess. That must be what it is. But some, not one of those synthetic... This was a leather Bible. But when you looked at the cover of this leather Bible, um, there was only a third of the leather still remaining. Because he had simply worn out the cover. Um, like patting a cow until you'd broken through the flesh. <laughs> That's not a helpful image, is it? <laughs> Let's go back to the Bible. Anyway... The cover was worn. It was worn back. And, and uh, I tell you, you would not have to see JFK's Bible to know how much he loved the Word of God. He seriously spent hours every day committing Scripture, passage after passage after passage to memory. It wasn't something that he was, he was proud of and would parade this great... Uh, body of, of Scripture that he'd committed to memory, not at all. In fact, you, you usually had to have somebody else nudge you and tell you that, you know, do you know JFK has memorized the whole book of such and such? And then he would sort of, you know, be kind of quite, you know, embarrassed about that and he'd play it down. But the truth was, because he let me into a little bit of his private life, his personal walk with God, he had memorized over half of the Bible. I remember taking many, many years ago in the US a, a camp where I was the guest speaker and so forth, the guru, and, and it was with young people who were pretty easily impressed, had a good audience, not like these days. <laughs> and um, it was a good, I mean, you're a good audience. Sorry, it was a hard audience. But... Um, I remember on this camp, here I was, guru, youth speaker, and so forth, and everybody just eating up everything that you said. And, uh, and I, we broke off into groups, and, and there was this young, young guy there, lovely, lovely humility about him. But likewise, when it came to, when it came to prayer points, how we can pray for one another, I remember him simply saying, I'm really, really struggling getting into the Word of God. And I looked at him with great compassion, you know. Well, son, you just need to start small, 10, 15 minutes a day or something. And, and he said, oh, no, 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 it's not that. I'm already spending an hour a day. But to keep not only remembering all of the Scripture that I've memorized the book of, do, 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 do. <laughs> but to keep memorizing more scripture, I need to get up to two hours. That was his agonizing prayer request. And I just stared at him <laughs> thinking, oh boy, <laughs> I felt so humbled. And I realized, wow, thank you, God, for the reminder. It doesn't matter what others think, here is a reminder of how important your word is for me. The problem with a hunger strike is that it might start out for a wonderful cause or a wonderful purpose, but after a few days, medically speaking, things happen, including all sorts of physiological but psychological things to you, to the point where you can actually... You can actually lose your, your sense of the need of nutrition. You can lose your way in it. You can actually delude yourself and, and find yourself at a place where you're not hungry at all. It's no longer about the strike. And it can be a very, very dangerous thing. 
Now, whether it's a hunger strike, whether it's a fast, or whether it's a, just a, I started dieting because I got busy, but we can get to a place where it's been so long since we were immersed in the Word of God that we've forgotten the value of its nutrition. We've forgotten that this is life. We've forgotten that without this, we die, spiritually speaking. And so, I guess that is probably where ancients have always spoken about the importance of a regular diet, a daily feast on the Word of God. And here's the promise that goes along with the command. Follow, follow carefully my teaching. Be careful to obey my instruction. Follow carefully my teaching and you will find your way. Verse, verse 8 renders it this way. Then you will be prosperous and successful. In Hebrew, the word prosperous um, literally, literally means um, to, to make headway, to um, advance along the path that you were proceeding along. That's what it means to be prosperous, to make headway, to, to get where it is that you want to go. You, you might say it this way, follow carefully my teaching and you will find your way prosperous and successful. You will make headway, that's the prosperous bit, and it will go well with you. That's the successful bit. The journey will actually go well for you. And you will make headway. That's the prosperous bit. There's the promise. The command, follow my teaching. The promise, and you will make headway. And it will go well with you. Uh, Rebecca Manley Pippet, um, a number of, number of years ago, wrote a little book on lifestyle evangelism called Out of the Salt Shaker. And in it, she said, she had been experimenting in her her evangelism efforts with people, with this very, very simple formula. People who were genuinely seeking God, but just weren't sure. They were open. They wanted to know if God was real, but they just weren't really sure. She said, well, try this. Why don't you read through the Gospels and read what Jesus teaches? Now, whether you believe he was God or not, let's put that aside for a moment. Here's the test. We can be a bit scientific about this if you want. Put into practice what Jesus teaches and test it. If it goes well for you, then it was probably right, wasn't it? And if he was right about that, then he was probably right about his claims about himself and that he is who he says he is. Because that level of wisdom, consistently giving and proving to be 100% accurate every time cannot be coincidence. That would only, could only be God. Nobody is that clever. And she found that as she put that little test out to people again and again and again, those who were just caught in a little bit of doubting or not knowing or not being able to work it out or not knowing what a step of faith ultimately looked like would find their way. Interesting, huh? If that's true for non-believers, I wonder, I wonder if that's true for us who believe but sometimes find ourselves a little bit stuck or find ourselves asking the question, oh God, I wish you would just show up in this situation. You ever wish that God would, would show up in some dramatic or miraculous, miraculous way? Well, if that's the case, then let me read to you a the outworking of this promise from John chapter 14, verse 26. Sorry, 23. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me, we all claim to love God, don't we? Yes, 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 we do. Yes. Sorry, let's try that again. <laughs> One of those low points in church life. Um, and we all claim to love God, don't we? Yes, yes, yes quite so. Uh, oh, Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. How do you like that? 
Now, here's the promise. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Or, some translations, be manifest to them. You want God to show up? Want God to come home? Want God to to manifest His presence in your life? Want Him to show you how real He is? Want to see and feel and sense the miraculous presence of God? Obey my commands, he says. If you obey my commands, then you'll see me show up. It's a command with a promise. Follow carefully my teaching. You will find your way. We need to understand the ways of God and, and then walk in them. One of the things I've, I've enjoyed over the last few years that God has enabled me to, to lead the the team to Greece on Operation Joshua. And I don't know how many more years we'll do that. I imagine everything has a lifespan, doesn't it? But one of the things I've enjoyed, and it's a byproduct, really. I love seeing people's eyes open to mission, and I love the work that we do there. I love people coming back with more of a hunger for mission and getting involved in some way, whether it be praying or supporting cross-cultural missions. I love all that. But for me, over mealtimes and so forth, just kicking back, I get unprecedented times with the team. I have conversations over the meal tables that I would never otherwise get to have with, with most people. We sit there and we chat about all manner of things. And every now and again, and this was true of this, this last trip we took, we took last year. In fact, the, the young man who asked this question is, is here today, but far be, be it from me to him, embarrass Kamzaki. <laughs> but as we're sitting around the table, this young man, who, as I say, remained nameless, he asked the elders who were there, do you know, If there was a piece of advice or wisdom that you could give to us young people, what would it be? That's a golden question, and he didn't just ask it once. Just about every time we sat down, he would ask it to others in the group who were just a little bit further on in their journey. And I loved those conversations. Old and young, intergenerational, we'd sit around the table. But what a gift. What an opportunity for for us who were a little bit further on in the faith to, to actually chat about God and life and, and what sort of wisdom would we, we impart. And I think, I can't remember what I said at the time, but I thought, well, if I just had to impart one piece of wisdom for the Christian life, the Christian walk, I'd be doing well to get, to get past this, this little passage today. Quite simply, wherever you are in your Christian walk, there's land to be taken. God wants to give you more. He really does. So, be strong and courageous. Because as God was with the Son, Jesus, so he is with you. Believe it. And follow carefully all of God's teaching, all of it. You'll find your way, and it will go well for you. It really will. Let me finish with, um, actually popped up today. Bron and I often, first thing in the morning after her wonderful husband actually has gone and gotten a cup of tea or coffee. That's me. We'll sit with our cup of coffee in bed and, and we'll, we'll read verse, verse of the day. And it came, popped up today in the message. Proverbs 3, 11 to 12. Let me just read this to you in the message as I'm closing. In fact, let me invite you, close your eyes, just soak this in. Here's a promise from God. Because you might find that this walk with him... And obeying his commands, all of this feels onerous or difficult. So just soak in these words, let him speak to you. Proverbs 3, 11 to 12. 
Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. Your body will glow with health. Your very bones will vibrate with life. Honour God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. Your barns will burst. Your wine vats will brim over. But don't, dear friend, resent God's discipline. Don't sulk under his loving correction. It's the child he loves that God corrects. A father's delight is behind all this. Heavenly Father, we say amen, amen, amen. Thank you so much for your promises. Would you help us this week as we journey with you, a, a welcome journey, a journey we know we must take. We can't stay where we are. As we journey with you, would you keep bringing home what you require of us and what you promise to us? You require that we be strong and courageous because you promise to be with us always. You require that we follow all of your teaching because you promise it will then go well for us and we will get to where we need to go. We trust you in this. We love you. We thank you. You are a father who loves and, yes, trains up his children to be more and more like Jesus. And that, that we embrace and rejoice in. We love you, Lord. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.